Yeah, so it's about that time of year. It's the holiday season. Uh, many times, you know, in, in secular workplaces, uh, you no longer say Merry Christmas. It's now Happy Holidays. It's something that, that people say. Um, in fact, even at a meeting that I was at yesterday, or not yesterday, but, but Friday, someone said our Christmas party, and then they said, uh, I meant our hol- I'm sorry, I meant our holiday party. Um, but in any event, uh, things, are, things are decorated. Uh, Medford Center, the, the big building there, it has like a bajillion Christmas lights on it. So tis the season. And, uh, you know, I, I just thought I'd, I'd share just personally, I, I think it's totally fine to celebrate holidays. I think that Paul is talking about how we don't need to. And if you make it a necessity, then you're, you're definitely on the wrong path. Um, and I, but I also think there's this definite temptations when it comes to Christmas. There's temptations of uh, consumerism, temptations of worldliness. I think, uh, you know, personally, I believe, you know, temptations about Santa becoming some sort of mythical creature in the lives of children that might captivate them more than perhaps God himself, but that's something to think about. Uh, there's, there's certainly dangers there, but it's also a fun thing to think about more about Jesus and more about the nativity, more about his coming, to think about prophecy. That can be really encouraging. And uh, Jenny and I have tried to celebrate this every night. We try to do a little Advent thing, and so we light a candle uh, for every day uh, up until Jesus. So we've done one candle two days ago, two candles Today, we're going to have to buy more candles. We're going to need 25 at some point. And we read uh, different prophecies and what early Christians thought about different prophecies. Um, it's a little boring for Luke at the moment, but I'm hoping that when he's a little older, you know, November will come around and he'll be like, when do we get to light the candles? I'm hoping that that happens. And so, um, you know, any, any way that we can remember Jesus, hopefully we're celebrating Christmas every day in our heart anyway, when we wake up and we have our quiet time and we pray, we remember that Jesus came and he fulfilled these prophecies. But today I want to make a little note about Bethlehem. And I want us to look at the uh, moments it's mentioned in Scripture. It's in the Old Testament, the New Testament, how Bethlehem is mentioned. Because it's mentioned a couple times. And this is going to be probably more of a read-along than it is really a formal lesson. I just want us to read the Scriptures that talk about Bethlehem, absorb them. I'll make maybe a few little notes. And I'll let you guys draw conclusions about, you guys can draw conclusions about the connectivity of the instances of Bethlehem in the scriptures. I'm a little hesitant to say, like, this is a solid thing, but I'll, I'll make some notes and you guys can, can come to your own conclusions. So a couple um, uh, introductory notes about Bethlehem. It is located, does anybody know where Bethlehem is? Does anybody know where exactly it is? If I put it on a map, where I could put it on a map, does anybody like know it's right here? Isn't it just south of Jerusalem? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's five minutes... Or sorry, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's five miles south of Jerusalem. And so if you, if you go on Google Maps and you need to walk, it's about a two-hour walk from wherever Google Maps put Jerusalem Center and wherever they put Bethlehem Center, it's a, it's a two-mile walk. It's, it's true that right now, if you were to try to do that, it would be very difficult because actually Bethlehem is under Palestinian control. And Jerusalem, you'd have to pass through many fences and gates, some that are, you know, 100 feet tall. So it actually would be very difficult to do that. The drive is actually two hours, even though it's only five miles, because you have to go through so many highways and, and checkpoints and stuff like that. So, um, it's referred by different names in scripture. So Bethlehem is one of its names, but it's actually a few times referred to as Ephrata, or Ephrath, or it's, it's depending on the translation, how they, they put it. And it's not like um, when Jesus says, like, little girl, get up. I don't think that's, it's different than this. It's Ephrath. So that's, that's one note. There also is another Bethlehem. There's Bethlehem of Zebulun. It's only mentioned once, but there is a second Bethlehem in Israel. Um, And then uh, the name Bethlehem actually means something. Does anybody know what Bethlehem means? So Beth means house, right? Like Bethel is house of God. And then 
Lachem is actually bread. So it's, it's literally the house of the bread is where Jesus was born. He was born in uh, the city called the house of the bread, which um, we know him as the bread of life. So that's just an interesting point there. I think as we read these scriptures, you'll see some general themes. Some of them are people journeying to Bethlehem. There's actually quite a few stories of people going to Bethlehem. That's all, It's almost their end location. This is We're going to see this three or four times, actually, which is quite interesting, uh, which obviously uh, the penultimate, the final one is going, the ultimate one is going to be uh, Jesus's birth in Bethlehem. That's going to be the final journey there. Um, we're going to see it labeled as a humble place. In prophecy, it's going to be labeled as a humble place. And it's seen as that general humility in the place of, of Bethlehem that, that ends up coming around, that it's a lowly place, that it's small among the, the, the number of Judah. It's often going to have a great man or great person or great holiness attached to it. Maybe a judge, maybe a leader, maybe a, a, a maybe some of you know the story, but a great farmer will be there um, of sorts. Um, and then there's there's a couple instances of births actually in Bethlehem. So Jesus is not the only birth in Scripture in Bethlehem. And then you'll see people bringing either a sacrifice or a gift. That only happens really twice, but we'll, we'll see that as well. So there's a couple different themes there. I couldn't find any early Christians that really said like these are all themes of Bethlehem. I just think that we can read them and we can we can see if if that holds true or not. Okay. So the first thing we'll read, it's very short and it's hard to read the full context of it cuz you'd end up having to do a lot of different exegesis and stuff like that. But the short is Micah 5:2. So we'll start with this prophecy in Micah. And if we can if it's possible, if you're not, you know, holding a child or chaperoning children uh, to open up the Bible and to read along with us. That might be uh, really edifying, and I'll try to not flip through these too fast. But Micah um, 5.2, and I'm going to be reading from a Masoretic text. I'm going to be reading KJV, so NKJV would be very similar. Um, perhaps the OSB will be slightly different, but I, I don't think it would be too different. But Micah 5.2 says, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, so again, the two names, both Bethlehem and Ephratah, are used here in Micah, Micah 5.2. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, uh, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, so it's this little tiny place, yet of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So we have this prophecy from Micah saying that there'll be this ancient one, this ancient being coming from times of old, this, this is going to be Christ, and he's going to rule over Israel. And what's Interesting is he doesn't just rule over Israel the state, but he rules over God's Israel, right? All the people that will be that will be God's Christians and and all Christians, including Jew and Gentile, that come to him, and that he's coming from this place that's humble. Bethlehem is this humble place. It's it's little among the thousands of Judah. So that's this, this sort of cornerstone prophecy. There's actually a second prophecy about it, and we're going to read it at the very end. I think it's pretty encouraging, and it's very it's very hard, and I've never even seen someone read it before, but we'll read it at the very end. But but this one right here is the, the cornerstone prophecy about Bethlehem that we'll see moving forward. Okay, let's um, get into the stories. So the first story is actually going to be in Genesis 35. So Genesis 35, and that's going to be verses 16 to 20. It says, uh, yeah, Genesis 35, 16 to 20 says, And they journeyed from Bethel... And there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni. Uh, Benoni. Uh, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died, and was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar 
upon her grave that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Then actually, if you go on Google Maps and you type in Bethlehem, there'll be a little like historical icon there, and they, they pin it, and it says Rachel's tomb. Now, I don't... I kind of have doubts that it's the same Rachel's tomb, but who knows? Uh, there is a cave there, and they say this is Rachel's tomb. So uh, Abraham, or sorry, uh, I apologize. Jacob and, and Rachel are, are traveling from Bethel, and they're going, and they end up being in Bethlehem, and she is goes into labor there, and unfortunately she, she passes away. She names her son, uh, son of my sorrow, Benoni. And, but the patriarch, Jacob, is so excited that his beloved Rachel is able to have a second son other than Joseph. And he is the youngest of all of his brothers. And he calls him Benjamin. And does anybody know what Benjamin means? Do you know what it is? It's son of my right hand. So the right hand of the father is born in Bethlehem, Genesis chapter 35. Pretty cool, right? Okay. Uh, anyway, in, in the town called uh, the House of Bread, right? So... A lot of things going on here. So they've wandered. They've gone from Bethel. They're traveling, and they travel to Bethlehem for the son of uh, the son of the right hand of the father. Uh, Rachel's pregnant. That's we're going to see that theme, obviously, in Mary uh, with Jesus. She gives birth to a son, and uh, instead of it being son of my sorrow, it's going to be son of my right hand. So this interesting sort of story is the first point, the first Bethlehemic point uh, in the in the Bible, and it has all this, this, this richness to it. That, that seems to tie somehow to Jesus. Okay, the next story is going to be in Ruth, and there's a lot of different uh, passages in Ruth that we could pick, but we're going to go to Ruth chapter two, verses one to four. <laughs> Quickly, just share you know what you know what happened with Ruth. But Elimelech and Naomi are Israelites. They move to Moab. Uh, their two sons marry two Moabite women. Their sons dies, son die, and sons die, and also Elimelech dies. And Naomi and one of the daughter-in-laws, Ruth, end up traveling back to their original hometown, which was Bethlehem. So they're coming from Moab and journeying from Moab back to Bethlehem. So we have a second, a second journey from a Gentile land this time to, to Bethlehem, to the house of bread. And uh, let's see what happens here. So uh, Ruth chapter 2, uh, verse 1 says, And Naomi had a kinsman... Uh, of her husbands, a mighty man of wealth, mighty man, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came uh, from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord with you, uh, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. Okay, so there's this mighty man that they come to and, and he is going to be on ultimately Ruth's kinsman redeemer. He is going to redeem. So there's this great, wealthy, mighty man who looks upon the downtrodden Gentile, the downtrodden foreigner who ends up coming uh, to the place of God, the house of bread, and is redeemed by this kinsman redeemer. So this mighty man who's able to. So you have this this Gentile, this Moabitess, this non-Israelite woman, Ruth, and you have this Jewess, Naomi, both coming to a mighty man, this kinsman redeemer, coming out of the house of bread. And then ultimately, we all know this, ultimately we know that Boaz is going to have a son, Obed, and Obed is going to have a son, Jesse. And Jesse is going to have a son, David. And we're going to go there 
Uh, we're almost going to go to the next. We're actually going to do another story real quick. We're going to Judges, chapter 12. This is a very, I don't know, it's one of these stories where it's in the Bible. It's only a couple verses, and I couldn't find any references in the early, in the early Christians. And so it's one of these things where it's like, why is, this, why is this in Scripture? I'm not entirely sure why it's in Scripture. It's a really interesting little snippet. So this is Judges, chapter 12. And this is going to be the minor judge, is Ibzan. And Ibzan is, happens to be from Bethlehem. So it says, Judges 12, verse 8 to 10. It says, And after him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. And he had 30 sons and 30 daughters. So that's a lot of kids. I'm assuming more than one wife there. Uh, 30 sons, 30 daughters. Whom he sent abroad and took in 30 daughters from abroad for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then died Isban, and he was buried at Bethlehem. As a man from Bethlehem, he judges Israel, he leads Israel, and then he has this interesting exchange, right? This interesting exchange. He sends 30 of his own daughters to abroad, I don't know, I'm assuming outside of Israel, and he accepts 30 daughters from outside of Israel to marry his sons and to be together. I'm not entirely sure what this is getting at, but this is an interesting story. If anyone has any thoughts afterwards, that's just one of these mentions of Bethlehem. It, again, it only happens like four or five times that Bethlehem's mentioned, but this is one of them. It's a really interesting story. Don't really know. And then he judges for seven years, which is obviously a, a nice a nice biblical number. Um, but this exchange of maybe Jew for Gentile. I see this exchange. This The daughters go out, Gentile daughters come in. There's this exchange that end up marrying the sons and, and becoming part of, of, of the family of Israel. So, Okay. Uh, let's go to David. So this is 1 Samuel 16. And 1 Samuel 16, verses... I just said verse 7 here, but we're going to be reading more than verse 7. I think we're going to go 1 to 7 here. I, uh, I copied and pasted. I said, And the Lord said unto Samuel... Is that verse 1? 4. It's verse 4. Great. Oh, okay. oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's 1. It's 1. Okay, great. Uh, so this is going to be verse 1 in 1 Samuel 16. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel... How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill then, fill thine horn with oil, and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord, and call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will shew thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the two trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou, comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So God has called Samuel to go to Bethlehem to anoint the new king. He's taking the kingdom away from Saul, the, the leader of Israel. He's taking the leadership of Israel away from Saul and giving the leadership of Israel to a new king, King David, in Bethlehem, in the house of bread. He's bringing with him a gift, a sacrifice, to the Lord, a heifer, 
might not be frankincense and myrrh, and myrrh, but it is a heifer. He also has to travel there. And there's also an interesting thing. What is he worried about? Samuel is worried about the retribution of the king. That Saul might come and try to hurt Samuel while he tries to anoint this king, while he tries to bring a gift. And that's quite interesting because Herod obviously is also quite conniving here and doesn't want a new king to be put in place. And again, we have this, this sort of travel component going on as well. So a famous, a famous birth has occurred uh, there in, in, in Bethlehem. With, with, or sorry, um, sorry, a famous anointing is happening there uh, with, with David uh, becoming king. Looking over my notes real quick. Ah, and then the final thing here, which is interesting, it's again this humbleness of Bethlehem. I think this, you know, God is not going to be looking for something great. He's looking for something small. Bethlehem is small. And the man that he's looking for, he's not looking at his outward appearance. He's looking for what is, what is inside of him. Has he given uh, himself to the Lord? And uh, we see that in the rejection of Iliad and obviously the acceptance of, of David as, as king. Okay. Um, summarizing points about these story, uh, both Jews and Gentiles find some sort of refuge in Bethlehem. Uh, there's famous births or anointings that are occurring, um, and that you know obviously King David had been anointed there before. Let's now go to Jesus. That's going to be in Luke chapter two, verses one to eleven, and we're almost we're almost done with our read along. Birthplace of Jesus is going to be in Bethlehem, and uh, you know Luke's account is, is very rich in all of this uh, early, all these, these these birth accounts of Jesus. Luke is so rich here. So, Luke chapter two, verse one, it says, "And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius Sir, uh, was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judah." unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were so sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Okay, so... There's again this sojourn to Bethlehem in the same way that Jacob and Rachel or Naomi and Ruth. We have Joseph and Mary or Samuel, I guess, also sojourned there from, from uh, maybe Shiloh or whatever, wherever the tent of meeting was at that point. This journey and sojourning to Bethlehem. We have a birth just like there was the birth of Benjamin. It was humble. It was humble just in the same way that David himself was humble. The circumstances are humble. Just how Micah the prophecy says Bethlehem itself is small amongst the thousands of Judah. It itself is humble. Um, and then we see a king that's going to be anointed in the same way that David was anointed. Um, and then we didn't see it here, but we're going to, you know, if you were to read Matthew, that there's kings that bring gifts to Jesus in the same way that Samuel brought a sacrifice. I think something that we can take out of this is that this is just one prophecy of many rich Many very rich prophecies that we have in the Old Testament. I have a little list on my computer of 40 of them. This would be just one of them. And if you think about all of them, that's pretty powerful and pretty awesome. And there's a lot of richness and fullness there. There is a comment made by Tertullian. I'm not going to read his quote, but I think it's something interesting to think about. That 
the prophecies say that the Messiah has to come from Bethlehem, that the ruler of Israel has to come out of Bethlehem. And in the time of Tertullian, Israel was destroyed and in exile. And it wouldn't have been possible for a savior to come out of Bethlehem. I think that's still true today. <laughs> it's Palestinian ruled. It's really quite different from what it was before. It's not a Jewish city at all. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's still a Muslim city. That This prophecy has been fulfilled, and it can't be fulfilled anymore. That's what Tertullian says. It's just, it can't, it's done. Like Jerusalem, or Israel was conquered, and that's it. And Israel still is in a place where it's not, it, it isn't possible for there to be some sort of Jewish savior coming out of, of Bethlehem. This prophecy has been fulfilled, and it's not like we can keep waiting. It's just, Tertullian's like, there's no more waiting. It's, it's happened because Bethlehem literally doesn't exist uh, in the current Jewish state. And so with that, I want to read one more final psalm. It's a psalm. It's going to be sort of this prophecy. And it mentions the town of Ephrata. So it's going to be, it doesn't say Bethlehem, but it says Ephrata. And I think it's a really powerful psalm, a really uplifting psalm. And we'll read it and we'll pray. So that's going to be uh, Psalm 132. Again, this is going to be um, in the Mesoretic text. Um, so it says, a song of degrees. That's what KJV says. I'm supposing that's uh, a song of ascent. Um, this is what you'd sing on your, on your way to to Jerusalem for a festival. It says, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swear unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard of it. At Ephrata, we heard of it at Bethlehem. We found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacle. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou, and ark and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness. We are the we are the priests who are clothed with righteousness. And let thy saints shout for joy. We are the saints that are shouting for joy because we've found the Lord in Ephrata. For thy thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed, that is Christ. The Lord hath sworn. In truth, unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, and for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will, we are the poor that are being satisfied with the bread of life. I will also clothe her priests with salvation. We are the priests which have been clothed with salvation. And her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I will or, have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown shall his crown flourish. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all the rich prophecies in the Old Testament, one of them being that the Savior will be born in Bethlehem and how that was mightily accomplished uh, through the birth of Christ. Uh, Father, please help us to recognize all the beautiful prophecies that they were fulfilled and that they cannot be fulfilled again or anymore. Father, please help us to shout for joy, help us to be clothed in righteousness, help us to be clothed in salvation, help us to celebrate that uh, 
in the season as everyone else is celebrating other things that they associate with Christmas. Help us to celebrate the, the Christ-like things that are associated with Christmas and, and find joy in our hearts over those things. And help us not only to find that in this time of the year, but every day, Father, as we awake, as we meditate on your law day and night in our beds, and as we wake and as we work and as we walk, help us to meditate on the coming of Christ, Lord. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.